0: Morena, Tafana? Um This morning, um, we're talking about rust. It's not a pretty picture of a car, is it? I mean, we, we kind of prefer this one. But the reality is, underneath that car is this, right? Well. Rust, rust, called the kind of a lot of okay. <laughs> Oh, man, John, no, no, that's... <laughs> oh, look, the first car, the first car, Monica and I... So for those of you who are visiting this morning... You... You model, take model A4, 1928. Yeah, okay. how long did it take? <laughs> um, so for those of you visiting this morning, we're in the middle of a series um, called Warren of Fitness. It's all about us. You know, rather than thinking about what the world's doing or what's happening around us, We're focusing on what's going on with us, and as we do with a car, we take it to uh, a mechanic to do a warrant of fitness to pass, so it can get on the road. What about a warrant of fitness for ourselves? So this morning we're going to be talking about rust. Now, the first car, Monica and I had, um, we were married, and my mother-in-law had this Nissan Sentra hatchback, which was a really cool car at the time, and I kind of really wanted it and then she finally just said, I'll sell it to you guys. I was like, yes, we got this cool car, married, get in this car and we're driving it around and I noticed that I could see the road from my foot near the pedal and I was looking down and I'm watching the road go by and I'm thinking, that's not good. And, and, and Monica, again, you know, because she's the car expert in the family, uh, she said, yeah, well, you know, in Pittsburgh and most of the northern US, there's a lot of snow and ice and they throw a lot of salt on the ground and obviously that rusts the underfloor of the car. And I'm like, how can this pass any inspection? Oh, yeah, no, no problem, they just tar it. Oh, man, whole new... Uh, you know, I felt like uh, the Flintstones, right? You know, i just stick my feet out and I'll just start running. Um, but rust is a very concerning aspect for any vehicle, so much, how would it be a problem for us in our lives? What is eating up inside of us that we've kind of neglected, kind of allowed to just chew away at us? What is happening within us that might cause rust to build up? You know, back... 30 years ago, Time magazine had this cover. This was 30 years ago, last century. And it was talking about high anxiety. It was saying, hey, look, there's a looming recession, government inability to, to run things. There's the threat of war and everyone's anxious. Boy, does that sound similar to today. And that's 30 years ago, 1990. 20 years ago, Time magazine had this article on understanding anxiety. And and we are now, more than ever, we are worrying ourselves sick. And that was in 2002. Has anything changed? This is actually who we are. It might feel like it's more today than ever before, but the reality is every generation, everyone, humans in general, worry. And we do worry ourselves sick. One thing I will be doing, this is a quote from Warren Worsby, which I found really fascinating, I wanted to throw in here. It says, it's often said that we are continually being crucified between two thieves. And the two thieves, he says, are the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Which I thought was pretty powerful stuff. This morning, I'm going to do something I've not done. I'm going to just be quoting from the Message Bible. Okay, I usually use the NIV, but this morning I'm going to use the, uh, the Message Bible because people have asked me, how do you make it sound so relational? Well, my trick is I usually read from the Message Bible because it's a language that understands kind of who we are today. The NIV is great, but most of, most of us aren't theologians. We don't understand the differences, and sometimes the language is a bit trippy. But this is the Message version of chapter 6, of Matthew verse 34. It says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not be happening tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And I find it fascinating that we we see in 1990, there's all these worries. We see in 2002, there's all these worries. And today in 2023, there are still these same worries. But actually, if you go all the way back to the first century, Jesus is addressing a problem that people have. And guess what it is? Anxiety, worry. It doesn't change. And he addresses it head on. Basically, what he's saying is this. Because what we have today is only today's strength. Face today's problems with today's strength. And don't worry about tomorrow, because you don't have tomorrow's strength yet. Make sense? I'm going to give you a little bit of insight into my mentally unhinged world. I had a dream last night. Look, I really struggled with today's sermon. For some reason, a lot happened this week, and there was a lot going on. Usually by Friday, I've got everything done and dusted. It didn't happen. And so late last night, I'm trying to finish this sermon, which I didn't. I finished it this morning. Um, That tells you a bit of where I'm at. But the dream I had last night says volumes about where I'm at emotionally. Who's comfortable getting on a platform and sharing about their dreams that might just show a little too much of who you really are. Crazy pastor that you've got, huh? So the dream, um, I was getting ready for church and I got to church and I turned on my computer because I hadn't done the video yet for this morning that you saw just a moment ago. So I thought I'd get in here early to do it and I turned on my computer and there was a virus and my computer wouldn't turn on. And I was like, of all the days not to turn on, why today? And I'm getting mad at it and then I thought, What is going on? Why does this always happen? And I could feel in my dream the anxiety building. But what was worse was as I was sitting there on my computer and you know we've got the glass windows out there and everything, a whole bunch of people show up. They're all from Southview where I used to work 15 years ago. Now for me, Southview deep down was a place where I really wanted to prove myself because right before Southview, we had a failed church plant and my ego just went out the window. And I didn't think I could pass ever again. So when I got the job at Southview, my whole mission there was to prove myself. I can do this. I can do this. And in the dream, the whole lot of them show. The whole part, oh, we've come to surprise you, Rob. We're going to be at church this morning. And I'm like, I don't have the sermon ready. What am I going to do? And then you know what even got more? What got worse? I was like, oh, hang on. It's Easter morning. No one's here anyway. You're going to see an empty church. Look, there's more people here than usual, but here in New Zealand, they don't... I woke up. <laughs> yeah, I need prayer, I know. <laughs> that was my dream last night. And I wake up frantic. I, the first thing I did when I turned the computer on, please no virus, please no virus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Worry and anxiety can really cripple us at times. And it should be something, should be something we're good at helping others with because most of us in this room have that kind of worry, most of us have that kind of crippling anxiety, concerns, worries, we all do. But worry and anxiety don't create all that rust in us. Let me just say, it's normal to worry. Jesus talks about don't worry, but yet when he's in the garden... He's a bit worried about what's going to come up, right? To the point of tears. It's okay to have worry, and sometimes it's okay to have a bit of anxiety. There is fear sometimes in what's going to happen, and there is regret of what has happened. It's what makes us human. This is something that's been part of us. But what really creates rust in us is spiritual immaturity. That is the kind of stuff that leaves holes in our chassis, that opens up our spiritual world to attack, to, to trips and falls. And it's the area we tend to neglect the most. In Romans chapter seven, again from the Message version, Paul says this: "I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. Decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and gets the better of me every time. Who can relate to that? It's it's interesting. It really comes out in conflict." When you're arguing with someone and you just say something and you immediately know i should never have said that anyone had that experience most of the guys are smiling and all the women are nodding (laughs) i don't know who's who there but this is part of our spiritual immaturity how do i work with this this is a great version from uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 8, one of the Beatitudes, you are blessed when you'll get your inside world put right, then you can see God in the outside world. That is a great version. Uh, I think the NIV says, blessed are the pure in heart. When you read pure in heart, you're like, yeah, that's never me. But when you read this, you're like, oh, get your inside world put right. Oh, that that makes sense. But how? (laughs) How? Either the battery's gone, or I've gone three slides ahead. (laughs) Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. So part of how we grow spiritually is actually how do we open ourselves up emotionally. Something that was very powerful this morning was having a bunch of kids, teenagers, show us what emotional health looks like by being honest about what's impacting them, what's hitting them. That's powerful. That shows emotional health. One of the problems we have as Christians is, sometimes we just don't show that emotional health. Why? Because we have grown up taught not to do that. Most of us guys think that tears show weakness. No, tears show compassion, they show hurt, they show pain. And we're taught not to show that. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Peter Scazzaro puts it this way, he says, it's called emotionally healthy spirituality. And it's become a very important factor now in discipleship. How do we help people connect emotionally with their own selves so that they can then grow spiritually? He has 10 points to show us what, uh, what is unhealthy emotionally, what's an, an emotional, unhealthy spirituality. The first point is this, using God to run from God. That is, applying the Bible selectively to suit our own purposes. I've done that many times. Anyone else care to admit it? <laughs> we do. We do get into this kind of hitch about wanting the Bible to speak to what we want. That's actually unhealthy. It's unhealthy to ignore the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear, not being honest with yourself. I am a thorn in the Baptist Union side, apparently. Because when I'm angry, I tell them I'm angry. When I'm disappointed, I say I'm disappointed. When I'm sad, I tell them I'm sad. Oh, come on, Rob, can't you just be happy all the time? Gosh, you're such a pain. I'm like, sorry. But it's unhealthy for me to ignore these things. Dying to the wrong things. Uh, This is something that we as Christians are really, and this creates a lot of rust in us. I've seen people... One of the reasons why the world doesn't take it seriously is because of this. Right? We die to the wrong things. I'm not saying that some of these issues are not important. Abortion's a big issue, and we need to have a voice in it. But it seems to me that some people are more willing to die for that than they're willing to die for some basic things like love, compassion, forgiveness, repentance... Some of us really get strong about sexuality and sins in that area, and, but our own lives are a bit of a mess. We're divorced three times. We pick people based on our dying to the wrong things. We'll ignore all the other sins, but then focus just on the This is not the heart of God. And it creates a lot of rust in us, because over time... We become fixated about our things, and they completely lose the God value altogether. Number four, denying the past's impact on the present. Now, I know a way to heal is, you know, when we become Christians, we're told, hey, the old has died, the new has come, but then we wonder why we keep falling into the same traps, into the same holes we kept tripping over. It's because we tend to deny the impact our past has on who we are today. It's important to understand how we were raised and even the small things that had an impact us. People we hear these stories of these big things happening to people and we think, oh, there's nothing really major in my life. But sometimes it's the small things that have an indelible impact on us and denying them will never allow you then to grow from it. Dividing our lives into secular and sacred. This is something that's amazing to me. I've seen great Christians, great Christian leaders who will come to me and they will say these great things and then they'll go work for these companies that have ethical question marks all over them. Oh, but that's work. That's different. My job's got nothing to do with my actually it totally does. I'm being a light in that space. Are you you can't separate secular and sacred. You can't compartmentalize God. You could be a voice in that area, no, no question there. But most times on, often, we're not. Spiritualizing away conflict this is great because a lot of us do this, because we don't like people like me who always say things at Baptist union meetings that make everybody uncomfortable. So I know the peacemakers, the peacekeepers in our group, the peacekeepers just want to keep peace, so they'll just say yes to me. But I know that they don't actually agree with me. And I know they'll do nothing about it. They're called the peacekeepers. They'll walk out and they'll talk to their friends and say, gosh, Rob was an idiot, wasn't he? How could he even think about these things? I'm not going to do it. But they'll never say it to me. Peacemakers look for where peace is and they strive for it, even if it means upsetting everyone in the process, including yourself. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the keepers, for they shall be the inheritors of God's kingdom. They shall be called the children of God. Number seven is covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure, oh, not being open about our true selves. This is a challenge. You know, the biggest compliment I get from people when I preach is, Rob, you're so open. And my question is, why aren't we all? Unfortunately, I'm hitting, what, 150 people this morning? You get to all hear about my brokenness. Anyone want to come up and share? (laughs) No, don't do that. You don't have to be on a stage. But the more open we are about our brokenness, the less rust builds up within us. Don't cover yourself. You might look like a BMW, but underneath, what's going on? Number eight, this is my problem, living without limits, trying to do everything. Pastors are terrible at this, but there are some of you out there that are just as bad, trying to do everything. And it's not because you want to. It's because... You almost need to, right? You're challenged because you want to prove your worth to some degree. or you don't trust others to do it for you. You can't let go. It creates a lot of rust. That can mess you up big time. Number nine, judging the spiritual journey of others finding ourselves occupied and bothered by the face of others. I I love this one too because this is great Christianese right here. It seems like we're far more interested in what the world's doing rather than looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, what am I doing? We spend so much time pointing the finger at others, pointing the finger of how bad the world is. You know, it's fascinating when it comes to worry and all of that. The Christian religion's awful at this. It's like we're a bunch of fear-mongering worry I mean, it's true though, right? Oh, the vaccine, no, 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 oh, no, no, the microchip that's gonna be in our brains, oh, no, no, the end of the times, the end world's gonna happen. It's like, oh my goodness, how do you people live? And you want people to join us on this worrisome journey that we're on. It's, it, 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 it kind of boggles my mind sometimes. There is hope in what we believe. There is hope in following Jesus Christ. And there is hope for everyone who's on that journey. I see people making really bad decisions sometimes and I keep thinking I need to tell them how to do it. And then, you know, praise God that the spirit that's in him in me is bigger than me because, boy, I'd make so many mistakes. still do. Um, But just to allow people sometimes, they've got to do their journey whether it's right or wrong. Because how did you get to this point? The last one is what I call the fix-it approach. I'm going to take a different spin on this. And this is something that we, as Christians, again, are really good at doing. We're good at doing stuff. We're not good at being. The fix-it approach is great because, you know, just read your Bibles more, we'll be okay. Um, If you're a navigator, you memorize it, you're all good because then the Word of God is on your heart and I'm okay. Or you could pray more. Who's been in a prayer meeting where someone just prays and prays and prays and everyone's got their heads down and no one voices it? But most of us are thinking the same thing. Please stop. Either that or we're thinking a million different other things. Pray more doesn't resolve it. There's a great story in the Bible where Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal. And what do the prophets of Baal do all day? Pray. They babble on and on and on. Oh, How about we just work harder? If we could just work harder, this would make it even better, Right? If we could just work harder in our own lives or in the church's life, well, what about evangelise more? Um, <laughs> I'm putting the Baptist Union under the... I, I don't know, but I was at a meeting and there was a guy next to me, uh, he's a pastor, and he was just saying, because the churches in general are in decline, right? Baptist churches, I can't speak for other churches, but I know the stats for the, for the union itself, we're all in decline. We've seen it in our church. But in general, actually, we're most probably healthier than most. And here, we were just talking, what can we do? And again, we, maybe we should work harder, maybe we need to pray more. <laughs> These are the things that we're coming up with. And one guy was like, we need to evangelize more. We need to get out there and bring people to Christ. And I just thought, no, no, we don't bring people to Christ. Christ brings people to Christ. We've got this whole consumeristic worldview about evangelism, where if we can get them to sign on the dotted line, the contract's done, and we're all great. And we fill these big megachurches until something goes wrong, and the church empties, and people leave, discouraged, disillusioned. What did they sign up for? It's not evangelize more. It's not sing harder. There's a great. <laughs> Sorry, worship team. Music team, uh, we've we got this one song, sing a little louder. Oh, it, really? <laughs> I mean, I, I've never understood that point. I mean, I get it, I get it. I just, I've never understood that point. Uh, louder, okay, louder. Why can't we sing with a little bit more heart or, or sing a little bit more, com- with pa- I don't know, sing a little louder. We can- singing harder doesn't change, it's like praying more. Bigger, better. all these things to cover the rust that is going on underneath us, the rust that, that, that is growing, that we're not addressing, that we cover with this beautiful paint, with beautiful prayers and great songs and great sermons, and we're filling it with you know all our duties of coming to church and doing all these ministries, when deep down there is rust building up within us. There's this great story. Oh, by the way... If you do all that, you become certified Christian. The number 10 point is doing for God instead of being with God. Evaluating our spiritually spiritually based on how much I'm doing for God. That's number 10. And there's this great story in the Bible about doing and being. It's in... um, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. One day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way to the temple for prayer meeting. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day, he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. And when Peter, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter with John at his side looked at him straight in the eye and said, look here. He looked up expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name. What I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. And in an instant, his feet and ankles became firm and he jumped to his feet and walked. And the man went into the temple with him, walking back and forwards, dancing and praising God. Now... This is a fascinating story that we read when we're in Acts, but if you just take a moment to look at it just a little bit more deeply. First of all, the question is, there's no plan. Peter and John never went out to go heal a guy. They were going to a prayer meeting. They were just doing what they do. There's no plan. There's no vision to say, whoever we encounter, we're just going, I sense something in the spirit move. No, they just kind of went out and did their own thing. Fascinating, huh? No plan at all. And they were just literally doing their thing. Oh, we're going to go to the prayer meeting. Dude, let's go. Cool. There's no nothing. There's no nothing. It's just them being them. And here's the biggest question. How many times did they pass this guy? How many times did Jesus pass this guy? If he was there all his life, being brought to the temple gate, Every day. Jesus would have passed him many times. Peter and John and the rest of the apostles would have passed him every day. Why didn't they do something back then? Why didn't Jesus do something when he passed him? Why in that moment? Was there a plan? No. Actually, it doesn't seem like they even thought of the guy. But I think at this point, Personally, John and Peter had gotten to a point in their relationship with God that it had gone from doing to being. And in being, they saw a whole lot more. They were far more conscious of what was going on around them, far more conscious about what was happening for them. They see the little things, which they most probably didn't see before because they were too busy doing Peter Cazaro says this, our activity for God can only properly flow from a life with God. If you want to start dealing with the rust in your life, start dealing with your relationship with God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, as the old hymn goes. Build that relationship with Him. Learn to be in Him first, and foremost, and allow everything else to be an overflow of that relationship. We have these cars, and we all look great in it. You all, from this point, look great to me for a Sunday morning. You look fantastic. I'm amazed how we can get up after a Saturday night, early on a Sunday. I'm pretty sure as winter comes along, we'll be a little bit more Maybe not as perfect as we are right now. what's going on underneath i can't see that the person next to you can't see that we don't know the dreams you had last night we don't know what's biting and eating up inside of you we don't know what's causing the holes you do you do and for once rather than be compassionate i'm going to give you a challenge because I always feel bad when I give a hard sermon that I've got to soften it a bit at the end. But I'm going to use a verse from Matthew. Again, Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, verse 48, he says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, you are subjects of God's kingdom. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others, and I'd say to yourself as well, and the way God lives towards you. That's the challenge of everything we're doing these last 10, 11 weeks is to help give you tools to grow up, to give us tools to grow up, to be challenged, to not let what's inside of you rust away, but to build on it, to find healing and grow in your relationship with the God Almighty who loves you deeply. Amen to that. It's challenging, I know. But you don't get to talk about your dreams on stage. You get to keep them in your minds. And that might be a good thing for you. But it says a lot about what's going on inside of you. Some say that we Latinos have a way too healthy lifestyle that we share everything with everybody. And yes, to some degree, it is very unhealthy. But it's better than sharing nothing at all. That's got to be lonely. And I speak especially to you guys. Because most women in here are really good, actually, at sharing, at being. Monica can pull together a women's event and have 40 people show up. Us guys, if there's no food involved, we're not showing up to anything. When was the last time you guys shed your hearts with somebody that's not your partner? And ladies, maybe I'm just assuming you're all healthy. (laughs) Some of you are struggling too. So the challenge this week is to just let someone have a glimpse of that little bit of rust that's in you and allow them... Allow them to be a support for you. And in the meantime, work on your relationship with God. Grow up. I ask our music team to come up. Don't worry, you've only got one more week of this. And then I'll hit you even harder with a new... No, (laughs) no. The next series actually will have a lot to do with how we can build more on what I've just spoken about this morning. The next series, we're going to be talking about some spiritual disciplines around prayer and and not just prayer, but meditation and spending some quiet time with God. What does that look like? How does it fit for me? So we'll be talking a little bit more or going into depth about how we can better connect with God in our personal lives rather than corporately as what we do every Sunday. So there's a challenge. If you're thinking, what can I do with this? Give it a couple more weeks, you'll be hearing something new. Father God, I just want to pray over us this morning, especially with what we've heard and what we've been challenged with. Hearing those 10 points and maybe one of those points have really kind of struck us hard. For those of us who can feel the rust within us, just not knowing what to do about it, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit just bring comfort and peace. And Lord, I pray your Spirit also just challenges us, Lord, to do something about it as Jesus says, to, to grow up. We are kingdom subject. We are the children, the sons and daughters of the living God. That we can turn to him. We find time for him in our lives, in our space. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.